that could have been the theme song of the Israelites that we're going to meet today. Uh, but before we get there, uh, if you have children going out for a children's church, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody. Um, if you have children that are staying with us, there's sermon notes on the back table, or they can grab any activities off that back table uh, and take them to their seat. That's what they are uh, there for. Uh, so today we are uh, continuing in our series and I think wrapping up our series that we have titled The Exodus. Uh, and in this series, we have journeyed with the Israelites from Egyptian captivity to now crossing the River Jordan and setting foot in the Promised Land some 40 plus years later. It has been a journey in which we have seen God's might, we have seen His power, we have seen His grace, and we have seen His love. It's been a journey in which we have seen uh, the people of Israel show incredible faith in God, but then also some, we have seen them grumble, we have seen them complain, and we have seen them turn against the God who saved them. And in the story of the Israelites, we have seen a lot of our story, uh, and I hope we will see that again today. Today we come to Joshua chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, and it's a really well-known Old Testament story. Today we come to the Battle of Jericho, and you might know a song about it, and we're going to see the walls come a-tumbling down. Uh, so three weeks ago in Joshua chapter 2, we saw the spies go into the Promised Land and go to Jericho to scout out the land. There in Jericho, if you remember, they met a woman named Rahab who saved them, who expressed her faith in God. And they promised her that they would come back and they would save her when they returned and conquered the city. We're going to see here at the end of this chapter. In Joshua chapter 3, we saw God work upstream and stop the Jordan River. And we saw the people cross the river on dry ground at flood stage. Last week, we celebrated our fifth anniversary by looking at Joshua chapter 4 and God's command for the Israelites to pause and to remember him and his faithfulness. We looked at, at some of the reasons that God still calls, calls us to pause and remember today. Remembering God's faithfulness reminds us to share his good news with others, with the next generation, with our family and friends. But remembering God also encourages us when we are discouraged, and it strengthens our faith for the challenges and battles that lie ahead. And that encouragement is needed for us today, and it was needed for the Israelites as they traveled to battle and conquer Jericho. God is going to have some interesting military strategies that are going to test their faith, that are going to call them to wait on him, but we are going to see that he is able and he is mighty. But before we get to the passage, why Jericho? Why was Jericho an important city to conquer? Well, first of all, Jericho was a pretty cool city. Uh, it was located just six hours on foot from Jerusalem, but it sat 3,000 feet lower in altitude. And it was like a tropical paradise and it had access to uh, these great freshwater springs. It was hot in the summer, but warm and pleasant in the winter months. Jericho was like the St. George or Mesquite of the Promised Land, right? More important than that, more important than weather, it held a strategic military location. It was located on the central ridge, and so it gave the Israelites a point of ground from which they could attack both to the north and to the south. It was the access point to the promised land from the Jordan. It was an essential city to take in order to take the land. Uh, but Jericho was an ancient city, and it, even at that time it was an ancient city, with walls up to 20 feet thick and 25 feet high. And from the tops of these walls, military guards could see for miles across this Dead Sea plain. We saw that in Joshua chapter 2 when the spies visited Rahab. The people of Jericho already saw and knew that the Israelites were there on the other side of the river. They had heard stories of their God and they were nervous, but they had put their faith in their walls, which they deemed uh, to be impenetrable. 
and instead of putting their faith in God. All right, that's enough on Jericho. We're going to pick up Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this journey we have traveled with the Israelites from Egyptian captivity to through plagues, through, uh, through crossing the Red Sea, through grumbling in the wilderness for 40 years, to crossing the Jordan, and now taking Jericho. God, in this series, we have seen your faithfulness and your goodness. We have seen your love and your grace. Uh, we've seen your, your judgment and your justice. And so, God, I pray that as we wrap up, I pray that once again we will see ourselves in the story of Jericho. God, that we'd be called to deeper faith or maybe faith for the first time. God, that we would be called to wait and trust your promises, even when it feels like nothing is happening. So, God, I just pray that you would speak to us today, that you would speak clearly in, in our own hearts, that you would convict us and, and call us to greater faith in you, Lord, and that we would be faithful and courageous to do so, to follow you. God, we love you, uh, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so we're in Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. Nobody went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. All right, we're going to stop right here. In verse 2, God says to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. This is exciting because it is recorded as a perfect tense verb. And what that means is that it has already been accomplished. God says to Joshua, I have already conquered the city. All you have to do is follow my instructions. And so our first point is this, the victory was already God's. Or I think I said up here, the victory already belonged to God. The victory is declared uh, to Joshua as if it's already accomplished. God has promised it, and as we have seen throughout the series, he is a promise keeper. Uh, so even though they haven't gotten to the city, God says it has been conquered. It is in your hands. As I thought about this week, this concept, I thought about some of the promises that God delivers over our lives as accomplished as well. Promises where God declares the victory is already accomplished and complete. If you'll just follow me. If you turn to Revelation 20, you see that God has already declared and claimed victory over Satan and over evil in the end. Uh, where he will th when he will throw him into the lake of fire. Right? There are days where it may feel like Saint Satan is winning. But his time, his dominion is limited and one, will one day end. And the victory is already God's. Much like the military in Jericho, uh, they, felt, they felt like they were in control as the Israelites walked around the city and they blew trumpets for seven days. Right? The threat didn't feel real, but victory was declared by God and it was coming. I'm sure the people of Jericho mocked and ridiculed the Israelites as they marched. Just as the evil of the world seems to mock us and, and mock Christians, but the victory is declared by God and it is coming. In Romans 8, 28, we see that God is good, and he declares good over our lives. It's not a maybe, but it is a promise of assurance that if we are following God, he can and will use all things for his purposes and our good. Right? What a comfort when we are walking through hard things and the world feels out of control. John 16, 33 reads, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We are promised that Jesus has already overcome the world, and through his resurrection, we see that. And because of that, we can have peace no matter what we are facing. God is greater than anything we can face in this world, and in that, he offers us peace in the midst of it 
if we trust in him. And the most important victory that he already declares uh, over our lives comes in Romans 10, 9 through 11. Uh, Paul writes, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. God promises that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. If we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible declares we will be saved. There are no uncertainties. There are no questions about it. If we put our faith in Jesus, we are saved. And through the work, uh, through his work that he has already accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection, it's already finished. We are saved. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to earn it, but it is already accomplished. The victory is God's, and we can walk through this life, and we can walk into eternity with complete confidence because the victory is God's. So in Jericho, God declares the battle is his. And in so many of our most important battles, our most important worries, our greatest trials, God already declares that the battle is his. The most important of those being our salvation, our forgiveness of sin, our eternal future. So God declares the battle is his. All right, verse 3. God's instruction to Joshua. He says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone straight in all right we're going to pause here so god has declared that the the battle is his but his plan is to march in circles and blow trumpets around the city of jericho right this plan makes absolutely no sense from a military or worldly sense can you imagine the outrage on cable news if word got out that our military was just marching in circles with trumpets around the city Right? This might be the first time in history that Fox News and MSNBC agreed on a story. Right? It's foolishness to all from a worldly standpoint. And so our next point is this. God's plans often don't make sense to the world. In Joshua's time, there were basically five different ways you could conquer a walled city like Jericho. One, if you had the time, you could tunnel underneath the walls. Two, you could go over the walls with ladders if you could get past the fighters on the wall above you. Three, you could break through the walls with a battering ram. Four, you could lay siege to the city and just not let anyone in or out and just try to wait them out. Or five, you could resort to some sort of trickery like the Greeks did to Troy with the Trojan horse. The reality is the the Israelites were not equipped to do any of these. They had just arrived in the land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They had no battering rams. They had no ability to execute a siege. And a siege would really be useless in Jericho because they had access to fresh water from underground springs. And so what does God tell them to do? He tells them to just start marching around the city. This wasn't all of the people, but this was the 40,000 who were prepared and armed for battle when they crossed the river. I would imagine as these 40,000 walked, they were mocked by the people of Jericho. And I'm sure when they went home at night, their families were like, wait, what are you doing? You're just marching around the city walls and blowing trumpets? They must have thought, we're going to be here another 40 years if that's the plan. 
God's plans often don't make sense to the world. God's ways are not our ways. I mean, you think about the Bible. God, God told Noah to build a boat in the middle of a drought. He put Joseph in a position of influence by selling him to slavery and then giving him dreams. During the time of Judges, God tells Gideon he needs a smaller army. He defeated the Philistines with a boy in a slingshot. He chose, the, he chose the church's chief antagonist, Paul, to be its chief theologian. This is the same God who chose to take the form of a man to give his life for sinful mankind. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 1.25. He says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. God's ways may seem foolish, but God knows what he is doing. You think about the things, some of the things he calls us to do today, or he calls us to do in the Bible. Things that make no sense to the world, and even to our fleshly instinct. Right? God calls us to love those who hate us. That makes no sense to my instincts. God calls us to forgive those that hurt us. I don't want to do that. God calls us to not seek revenge, but to trust it to God. I don't know about you, but I want revenge, and I typically want it now. God calls us to give a, a tenth of all we earn back to him and trust that he will bless and provide. I was a business major in my undergrad. That does not pencil out as in my best interest from a worldly perspective. But God promises that he will provide and bless. God calls us to not give in to drunkenness. The world says that's the only way to have a good time. God calls us to trust him and save sex for marriage. The world says that's old-fashioned and not relevant today. The Bible says to rejoice in all of our circumstances. Right? I instead tend to see the negative, focus on the challenges, and grumble and complain. Right? The list could go on and on and on. But God's instruction is almost always counterintuitive to culture and often counterintuitive to our desires and our nature. God's plans didn't make sense then, and they often don't make sense today. All right, verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. And that day, shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. All right, we're going to stop there. The last point was that God's plans didn't make any sense to the world. 
So now I want to pause and I want to put ourselves into the shoes of these soldiers who have been following his orders and marching for seven days. And what we see is that this battle wasn't so much about Jericho, but it was about testing the faith of the Israelites. Testing, did they really trust God or did they trust in their own strength, their own power, and their own wisdom? Victory had been declared by God, but they had to trust him as he asked them to do what felt like folly in their minds. And so our next point is the battle tested Israel's faith. Hebrews 11.30 in the Hall of Faith, it says this. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Can you imagine how foolish the army must have felt, though? For seven days, they marched. I would guess they were ridiculed at home and by the people of Jericho. Right? The Bible doesn't even tell us that the walls started to crack slowly day by day. There was no indication given that this plan was working after day one, after day two, after day five, or even after day six. They had been given a plan that made no sense. There was no sign that the plan was working. And yet by faith, they still went out there and did as God commanded them to do. Another interesting note is it appears that Joshua was, was given the full plan by God, right? He got all seven days of the plan. But it seems that he revealed the plan day by day to the army. Can you imagine the frustration they must have felt on day five or day six when they were commanded yet again to just go march around the city once and return home? And then on day seven, they're going to march again, but this time they're going to march seven times. And the only change is they're going to yell and blow horns and trumpets. Right? The temptation would have said, Joshua, man, this is foolish. I'm done making a fool of myself. I'm out. Right? That would have been my temptation. This plan is foolish. Nothing is happening. How is shouting going to make a difference? How is blowing the horns louder going to make a difference? That had have been their thought process. But imagine if they would have given in to the pressure of the world and not walked forward in faith. If they would have given up, they would have not seen God move as only he can move. They would have not seen him crumble the walls at just the sound of trumpets. The battle tested their faith and they proved obedient. But it must have been so difficult to wait and trust God in the midst of it. I would guess there are many here that feel like the Israelites on day four. Right? God has promised victory. But you are walking, and there is no sign of the victory. And God is calling you to press on. He's calling you to be still and wait. He's calling you to remain obedient and to continue to put your faith in him and his ways. Trusting he will provide even when we can't see it. We must learn to trust God's ways even when we do not understand them. One of those ways that God calls us to trust him and to turn to him is through prayer. A lot of times we don't fully understand the power and the necessity of prayer. Right? We want to charge right in. We want to get that battering ram, and we want to go through the wall. But God often wants us to take our time and to pray and to trust him in the midst of it. Sometimes when you're praying for God to remove a certain obstacle in your life, you feel like the Israelites. You're like you're just walking in circles, going nowhere. Yet the Bible tells us persistent, believing prayer is God's way to remove those obstacles. It's his way to move forward. It's the way that he changes our hearts and our minds. Why? Because God chooses to work in our life through faith, just as he did with the Israelites. It took 
faith to walk around the city of Jericho. And it takes faith to trust in God's ways even when we don't understand them. We listed in the previous points so many of the things that God calls us to which feel foolish in the eyes of the world and foolish to our flesh. But yet God promises good. He promises victory when we follow him. What is God calling you to trust him with in faith this week? It may feel like nothing is happening now, but would you in faith commit today, commit to God's ways and to his promises and commit to him through prayer? The Israelites' faith was tested and they proved obedient in their walk. Let's see where that leads. Verse 15. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given us the city. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies to be sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. So when they trusted God's victory, when they were faithful and obedient to follow his ways, then they experienced God's victory and his freedom. So that's our next point. Obedience leads to freedom. The world tells us that freedom is found in the wisdom of the world, and it is found in the desires of our flesh. God tells us that freedom is found in him, and it is found in obedience to his instruction. We talked about this verse just a couple of weeks ago in youth group, and we're going to talk about this tonight in small group Bible study. But James 1.25 says this, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. God's law, God's instruction for our lives may seem foolish to the world. They may seem at first glance to limit us, to restrict us, but James says that it's in obedience to God's instruction. That's where we find freedom. The Israelites followed the instruction of God in faith, and they experienced his victory, and they experienced freedom in the promised land. If they would have leaned on the wisdom of the world, if they would have attacked the city in the wisdom of the world, if they would have built a, a, a piecemeal a, a battering ram and tried to go through the walls, they would have experienced certain defeat and certain bondage because they were not able in their own power to conquer Jericho. But when they obeyed God, they experienced his freedom. And the same is true in our lives. Again, we said the world says that freedom is found in inhibition and in the fulfillment of our fleshly desires. But the reality is freedom isn't found in the fulfillment of our fleshly desires. But instead, what we find in those things is bondage to sin. The examples of this are seemingly endless, but we'll touch on a few of those mentioned above in the wisdom of God seeming foolish. But God calls on us, we talked about earlier, he calls on us to give 10% back to him and remain out of debt. The world says to get what you want and get it now. The world says freedom is found in stuff and fulfilling our desire for it today. But that so often doesn't lead to freedom, but instead it leads to bondage to creditors and it limits our future plans instead of providing freedom. 
I said earlier, God's instruction puts limitations on sex and reserves it merely for the marriage relationship. The world says fulfill your desires, and it says to fulfill them now in any way you desire. Right? Thanks in large part to the Internet, that is accessible in ways like never before, and people aren't finding freedom in it. But instead they are finding shame, bondage, brokenness, and broken relationships. Right? The effects of this belief are tragic in our society. God's ways seem to be restrictive, but in reality they lead to freedom. God calls on us to love those that hate us and forgive those that have wronged us. Right? That seems so backwards to our instincts and to the world. But I think we have all experienced times where we held on to grudges, where we, held, or where we hated someone right back, where we refused to forgive. What happens when we do that? We become slaves to that hatred, to that person long after they have wronged us. Whereas if we can give vengeance to the Lord, if we can trust them to him, if we can trust forgiveness to God, that's where freedom is found. These examples could go on and on, but when we obey God's ways, when we trust him, it always leads us to freedom. When we trust the wisdom of the world, when we trust the desires and wisdom of our flesh, it so often leads us to bondage, slavery, and limitations of our future. All right, verse 21. It says, they devoted the city to the Lord, and they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Now, we're going to pause right there again and make a quick note and explanation. It is hard for me to read that the whole city and all the people and all the things were destroyed. Right? That saddens me, and I would hope it saddens you as well. But destruction and the results of sin are always devastating. The Bible says, and we know intellectually, that the wage of sin is death, but it's hard when we see that play out and when we see the destruction of that sin. Yet for God to be a just God, he must judge and punish sin. And the city of Jericho was well known for their sin. The city of Jericho had no respect for God. It was filled with prostitution and the worship of sex. It was known for pagan belief, and it was known across the land for its practice of infant sacrifice. Right? This was an evil evil city that was filled with sin. It was a city that had heard of the power of God. They had watched the Israelites cross the Jordan on dry ground, and yet in their pride, they still believed their walls could protect them, and their ways were more powerful than the God of the universe. This city was full of sin, and they deserved the judgment of God. But listen to this. Despite that, God in his grace still revealed himself and gave them the opportunity to repent and turn to him. God revealed his power and his fame to them through the crossing of the Red Sea and his protection of his people. We heard of this in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, we met Rahab, and she already had heard of who God was. She had heard of his power through these stories. And for her, that was enough to surrender her future, to trust God and turn to him. The people of Jericho knew who God was. But it didn't stop there. As we said, they literally could have watched from the city walls. They could have watched the million-plus people walk across the Jordan on dry ground. That's not a regular occurrence. You would think that revelation would have caused the city to surrender and trust their future to the God who could stop rivers. And then for seven days, the people walked around the city walls. God could have punished the city. He could have punished their sins at any moment. But for seven days, he gave them an opportunity to repent. 
to surrender to trust their lives to him. But in those seven days, just like so many of us, they didn't surrender. But during those seven days, I would guess their pride was only strengthened. Their pride was only strengthened. They thought there's no way they can get through our walls. That's a picture of our world and the reality of our world. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners and the wage or the consequence of that sin is death. And not just death in this life, but eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. We are all guilty of sin. We all deserve the penalty for that sin, which is hell. And yet God in his grace has revealed himself to the world. He has revealed his power and he has made a way for us to be forgiven through Jesus. And like with Jericho, God and his grace hasn't just wiped us out, but he has given us time. He has given us this life to repent, to surrender, and trust our future to him. And as we said in point one, if we will repent, if we will surrender and trust him, he is faithful to forgive us, and we will inherit eternal life. Sin leads to destruction. It deserves to be punished, and yet God in his grace has made a way for us to be saved. And he has given us a window in which to repent, just as he did with the people of Jericho. And as we read on, we see that God saves any and all that will repent and trust their lives to him. All right, verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and they brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out the entire family and they put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab with her family and all who belonged to her because she had hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. We met Rahab a few weeks ago in Joshua chapter 2. If you missed that sermon, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because we spent the whole time talking about her faith and God's rescue of her. But we see that fulfilled here in Joshua chapter 6. And that's our final point today. It's that God saves his followers even in the midst of destruction. Even in the midst of sin. We said it, the city of Jericho was an evil place. It was filled with the same sin, debauchery, and evil that our world is today. It was a broken place, and it deserved the judgment and destruction it would experience. Yet in the midst of that destruction, in the midst of that evil, God saw one woman in one woman's family whose life was full of sin, but she desired to follow God and trust him with her future. God saw Rahab. He saw her faith, her desire for his ways, and he plucked her out and saved her from the destruction all around her. We talked about it in Joshua chapter 2, but that seems to be the primary reason for that, rescue, for that spy mission, to save that one woman of faith. And this is such a beautiful picture of what God does today for anyone that will follow after him. God saves any and all that will repent from their sin, that will trust their eternity to him, that will ask for his forgiveness. He plucks his followers and he sets them apart from the sin and destruction of the world. The same sin and destruction that Rahab had once been a part of it. We talked a lot in this sermon about the bondage, the sin, the destruction of the wisdom of the world that it leads us to. That same sin that we're all a part of. 
And yet the hope of the Bible, the hope of the gospel, the grace of God is that no matter what sin we find ourselves in, no matter what destruction we find ourselves in, no matter what bondage we have gotten ourselves in, the hope of the gospel is that if we will turn to God, he will forgive us and he will save us. The Bible says there is no sin too great. There is no sin too many, no bondage too deep, no destruction so large that God can't forgive and can't save if we will turn to him. Anders, in his commentary on Joshua, writes, what a beautiful picture of what God does for us. When we come to faith in him, he saves us from the judgment all around us. He plucks us from the crashing walls and he places us into his chosen family. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, we see that God doesn't just save Rahab, but then it says she lives amongst the people of Israel. God saves her, he forgives her, and then he makes her one of his people. In the same way, the same way today, God doesn't just save us and say good luck with life. The Bible says he saves us, he forgives us, and then he makes us one of his own. He calls us his followers, his adopted sons and daughters. We are not merely plucked from destruction, but we are given new life in him as a part of his family. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have experienced that rescue and you've been given new life in him. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then he offers that same forgiveness, that rescue, that new life in him if you will repent from your sin. If you will turn to him and ask for forgiveness and believe in him. As we said earlier, if you do that, then God declares victory. He declares forgiveness and eternal life over you. He says the victory is already won and you will be forgiven. But you, like Rahab, must turn to him and trust your life to him. So as we begin to respond, I hope that God has spoken over your life and your story somewhere in the midst of this. In the beginning, we saw God make a promise and then we saw him fulfill it. Maybe you're here today and there is a promise that we have mentioned that you are maybe not trusting in or, or maybe you're waiting on and you are impatient. Would you commit to trust God's promises and his ways and have faith today? Right? Maybe you've trusted his promise, but his timing is slow. <laughs> Would you rest in him? Would you be still? Would you press on in your faith? Keep walking the city, trusting that God is going to move. Trusting him through prayer and through obedience. Don't give up. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you need to surrender and you need to trust an area of your life to God's instruction. Right? Like his battle plan here, his instruction may not make sense. But you need to say, God, I will be faithful and obedient to you. Maybe it's your future you need to trust in him. Maybe it's a relation. Maybe it's your finance. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, would you through prayer Surrender that area and trust his instruction. Trust that his ways bring freedom. Trust that his ways are better. Or lastly, maybe you're here and you're like Rahab. You need to step out of your life lived in sin and you need to ask for forgiveness and follow Jesus. You need to join the family of God today by repenting of your sins. That means turning from your sin. By believing that Jesus is who he said he was. That he was indeed God in flesh who died for the sins of the world and died for your sins. You need to trust that he rose victorious and make him Savior, the Lord, the leader of your life. 
that's you. You can do that in your seat, or you can come and talk with me. But the Bible says if you do that, you will be forgiven. Emily's going to come, and she's going to play for us for just a minute or two. And as she plays, we're just going to take just a, a couple minutes just to reflect on who God is and what he has spoken over our lives. And just spend a couple minutes in prayer talking with him. Before we do that, I'm going to close us um, in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the universe. Lord, we thank you that your promises are always yes in you. God, we thank you that we can put our faith in you even when we don't understand what is going on. We can trust that, that your strength, even your weakness, is greater than our strength. We can trust in your wisdom. So God, I, I'm sure there are people here today that, that they just feel like they're circling walls with no signs of progress. God, I pray that if you will, you would give them a, a glimpse of how you are working. But even if that's not the case, God, I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them to press on in their faith, in their obedience, in their walk with you. Trusting that you will indeed keep your promise. That they can find their hope, they can find good, they can find peace in you alone. God, I pray maybe in the midst of the destruction of this life and this world, there's someone here that, that has never put their faith in you. Maybe, God, you would give them the courage like Rahab to step out in faith, to believe in you. God, we know that if they do that, you will save them. You will rescue them. Just as you rescued Rahab and just as you have rescued so many of us. God, we can find assurance that the victory is yours if we will trust our lives to you. God, maybe there's an area of our life where we have trusted the wisdom of the world or the desires of our flesh instead of you. Maybe we are experiencing the consequences, or maybe we're not yet experiencing the consequences, God, but I pray that this would be a wake-up call for us to trust your ways. Trust your ways that always lead to freedom. If that's any of us here, God, I pray you'll make that uh, just so, uh, so clear in, in our lives where that area is, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the strength to pray and give it to you today, but then to be obedient as we go. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you you are mighty and you are powerful. Lord, we thank you you are a promise keeper. God, we thank you that you lead us to freedom and you lead us on good paths. May we trust you in every aspect and area of our lives. In Jesus' name. It's your name we pray. Amen.
God, again, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your ways and for your promises. And my prayer is that we, like the Israelites in this story, will be found faithful and obedient to you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> all right, just a couple of announcements uh, before we leave. Uh, first of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card in the area of you. If you wouldn't fill that out and place it in the wood box on the back table, uh, we'd appreciate it. That's also where you place your uh, tithes and offering if you consider this your church home. Uh, in terms of announcements, we have youth group and kids night, which meets here on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. Uh, if you have questions about that, uh, come and let me know. Uh, kids choir kicks off this Wednesday, the 19th, uh, from 5 to 545 here at the church down in the basement. Um, a snack will be served for your children if they're staying for kids night. Uh, if you have any more questions about that, you can see Chandra because you don't want to see me. Uh, and then lastly, we have small group Bible study, which meets here at the church from 6 to 7. Uh, if you've not joined us, it'd be a great week to join us. We're kicking off our study on James, uh, and would love for you to join us uh, for that. If you have questions about that, you can see uh, me. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful week. We hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed.